0: Youth, of course, I mean, in our definition of youth, you're all very youthful. I'm just talking about, uh, I'm talking about teenagers. Some of you are young at heart, and some of you, some of the teenagers could learn from you on how to rejoice and how to yell and how to dance. I shouldn't say yell, I mean shout. Yell sounds uncontrolled, shout sounds like you did it on purpose. So uh, thank God we're going to do that with all our hearts, and you know, when the teenagers catch up and overtake you, you're just going to have to catch up to them. So that's, that's how it goes. <laughs> Would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts? As we continue our study of the book of Acts, we find ourselves in Acts 13. When we last left off, God was working through Paul and Barnabas. As they went on their first missionary journey, they set out from Antioch. They found themselves on the island of Cyprus. When they were on the island of Cyprus, the major event there is that they had an encounter with the proconsul who had happened to be seeking God. God sent them to this man, and he was looking forward to hearing what they had to say. But as you recall, he had a guy that was whispering in his ear. He had an assistant that was uh, lying and, and uh, deceiving and was, was known as a magician. And so, in fact, this guy had to get... Um, some things in order. And because he was he was blocking the gospel from being preached, uh, his was actually a mist came over him and he was blinded for a time. By the mercy of God, it was only for a time. But he was blinded for a time and uh, got out of the way so that the proconsul could believe. And that's really awesome. As I told you last week, the proconsul would be like a deputy governor of the Roman province, a a lieutenant governor, if you want to say that. And so uh, this guy got saved and it's an awesome thing, but they don't stay there too long because that's not their, that's not their destination. That's just a stop on the journey. They continue on and we're going to pick up there in Acts chapter 13. And uh, as we do, I might give you some background as to where they're headed um, they've, they've left Judea long ago. When they went to Antioch, they left, um, they left Judea, which was where they encountered mostly good Hebrew Jews. Uh, when they went to Antioch, the church in Antioch was made up of a lot of uh, Jewish people, but also a lot of Gentiles that got born again. So it's a different kind of church. And as they set out, it was going to be a different kind of missionary journey. And so as they find themselves here... Um, They're going to end up at another place called Antioch. Interestingly enough, they left from Antioch, and they're going to end up in a place called Pisidian Antioch. Now, this is because there are like 16 cities at that time called Antioch. Can you imagine how confusing that might have been? (laughs) Uh, There are a bunch of cities called Antioch, and that was because Antiochus was a bit of a... uh, Quite a bit of an egomaniac. Uh, There was an empire after Alexander the Great. I'll just give you a quick history. Uh, After Alexander the Great conquered much of Asia and the Middle East, um, and even Greece and Persia, um, different empires kind of sprung out of that. When he died, just as Daniel prophesied, remember Daniel prophesied about the, the great goat, and out of him ten horns would come? Well, Alexander the Great did do what Daniel prophesied he would do hundreds of years later. And out of his one empire, 10 generals, 10 empires kind of came out of that. And these generals fought for control. Some of them ended up with nothing. Some of them ended up with a a good good piece of the empire, like Ptolemy, ended up in Egypt. And there was uh, one general named Seleucus. And this guy um, took over much of uh, uh, Babylon, that area of the Middle East, and in fact, he set himself up in Babylon. Uh, that kingdom ex- continued to expand and change and until his grandson, Antiochus Epiphanes, he put Epiphanes at the end because, like I said, he thought he was a little bit of a god. So he said Antiochus Epiphanes was going to be his name. His name was Antioch and Antiochus, but he added Epiphanes because that means manifest, revealed. In other words, you didn't know it, but I'm a god too. And uh, this is a guy that you might have heard of. Once again, when Daniel prophesied, some of the things he prophesied about the Antichrist were also fulfilled in this guy. This guy began to um, defile the temple. He defiled the temple in Jerusalem. He did his best to de-Judaize the Jews, to turn them into Greeks. And in fact, he spread out some Jews in different parts of the empire. And we find out, remember in Acts 7 when it says there were Hellenistic Jews and there were good old native Jews, Hebrew Jews? Well, the Hellenistic Jews were the ones that kind of got spread out during this empire. And uh, he tried to fill them with Greek culture, get them to be very Hellenized. Hellenized is just another word for Greekized. It just sounds better. Greekized sounds weird. Hellenized sounds prettier, doesn't it? So Hellenized, uh, coming from the Greek word which means Greek, right? So he's Hellenizing them, trying to make them a little bit more Greek, a little bit less Jewish. Because if they kind of take on the same culture as you, they're not going to rebel quite so readily. Well, the problem was as these guys got spread out, some of them mixed their beliefs and some of them didn't know what they believed, but some of them stayed true to the one true God. Some of them stayed true to what they believed and they ended up in different parts of the empire. We're about to end up in Antioch, Uh, the Pisidian Antioch, where just like a lot of these places, there's a subculture, there's Greeks, there's Romans, there's Easterners, but there's some Jews that have have banded together and settled together. And if you were going to talk to these people, if you were going to find them in one of these cities, now if you're in Jerusalem and you're looking for Jewish people, you just walk out on the street and there they are. But if you're in one of these cities, like Antioch, like the in Antioch, if you're in one of these cities and you want to find the Jewish people, you go to the synagogue. Not only is that the religious center, but that's kind of the cultural center. That's where the Jews congregate. And so the synagogue was not just one guy teaching everybody. The synagogue, you'd have a, have a reading of scripture and then you'd have some different people share. You'd have some different people that were qualified teach. And uh, this is a place where stra- you know f- people from other parts would come in and they'd share something. And so... What you see the, the apostles do is they go from town to town. They go straight to the synagogue and they proclaim Jesus there. And they're proclaiming, to as Paul said, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Because they're going to proclaim to the Jewish people, here's your Messiah. Here's what the prophets have been talking about. Here's what the scriptures have been telling us is coming. Here's the good news. So they would always head straight to the synagogue and they would, they would share this. We find out here, let's just pick up in where we left off in Acts chapter 13. And uh, we're going to see how their journey went. As they left Cyprus, it says this in verse, let's go start in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. There'll be more on that later. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So these guys are from out of town. Paul is somebody that's been trained in, uh, he's, he's taught under the great Gamaliel. These are guys that you'd want to share if they came to your synagogue. And plus, you know, they're from, they came from a long way away. So you assume they've got something to say. He says, brethren, if you've got anything to say, go on and say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God. Now, why did he say those two things? Because in a city like Antioch, you not only had Jewish people there, but you also had some Gentiles that had come to believe in in Jehovah, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they would come to the synagogue too to hear about this God and to hear about the law and the prophets. And so he says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers, and he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifting arm, he led them out of it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Would you just hate if that's how God described your little stay on earth? For 40 years, he put up with them. (laughs) For 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then he asked for a king, and God gave him Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom also it's testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. So Paul's taking them on a journey of how God has always delivered his people. How he has always followed through on his promises. He wants to show them. Because remember, at this point, he's not not speaking to the Gentiles out in the marketplace. Right now, he's speaking in the synagogue. So he's introducing to them, you guys believe the scriptures. You know the history of our people. I'm here to tell you that what you've been waiting for has come. That's good news, isn't it? it I mean, the gospel's been good news to all of us. No matter what your background is, the gospel was good news. But to them, this is the good news. You've been told about the Messiah all your life. God has come through. He always brought a deliverer at the right time. And he brought this deliverer. He brought Jesus. And so he says, this is the guy that's been promised. This is the man that's been promised. And he says, so this is Jesus that he has raised up. And he goes on to say, actually, I... Verse 24, after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brethren, son of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilling these by condemning him. Here's what they're saying. Every Sabbath, once a week, we hear about, hear about the Messiah. Once a week, we hear all about him. And when he finally came, they didn't recognize him. And he says, the ironic thing is, the scriptures about the Messiah, they actually fulfilled by rejecting him. And he says, by condemning him, they fulfilled their own scriptures. You never would want that, would you? When you're reading the scriptures and you're saying, the Son of Man will be rejected. I mean, he, he would be wounded for our transgressions. You never want to be the guy in the prophecies that's the villain. But it turns out that they were. They condemned Jesus. But, of course, you know that one of the first things the church did, the first act of the church, was to offer forgiveness and repentance to the Jewish people. They were all Jews themselves, but to the, to the people of Jerusalem, who only a few weeks earlier had cried out, crucify him. And now we're being offered a chance at salvation. That's the mercy of our God. Here's what it says in verse 28. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. For such a small sentence, that's a powerful one, isn't it? Can you imagine just sitting there in the synagogue and not expecting that to come up? You're you're going, where are you going with this? He started out by telling us what we hear every Sabbath about our forefathers and about the history. And then they start talking about this Jesus. And maybe the people over there had heard echoes of this. Maybe they hadn't. But he tells them, Jesus, the guy that you've been listening about, the guy that you've been hearing about all this time, God sent him, his son, he sent the Messiah. They killed him. Can you imagine how how you're going through this emotional roller coaster as Paul is talking? These are people that weren't there. These are people that live pretty far away. He tells them, the one that's been, been told about in Scripture, just like the Scripture said, he died. But God raised him from the dead. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the moment everybody hears that? I'll tell you what happened. I imagine there were two responses. One group of them started to get excited. And the other group, I'm sure, started to get skeptical. Because in every crowd, when the word is preached, there's always people that believe and people that don't. Yes, that's right, that's right. Come on, come on. The people that believe act on it. The people that don't just stay. The people that believe bear fruit. The people that don't get uprooted. And in this case, God is offering them a chance to believe. Verse 31. For many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. The very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As for the fact he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was laid among the fathers, his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Remember, this is the same um, sort of argument that Peter brought out when he was preaching the sermon. They're going back to the scriptures and they're showing him this is all what God's been talking about for centuries. It happened, it happened, it happened. But they said, don't you realize every time you've been reading the Psalms, when when David said you won't allow your Holy One to undergo decay, that they thought all this time he was talking about David. And the apostles are saying he couldn't possibly, David couldn't possibly have been talking about himself. Because you know he's in the ground, rotted right now. There's probably little left of him. So when he says, you won't allow your Holy One to undergo decay, Paul, and just like Peter had said earlier, they're pointing out, David wasn't talking about himself, so who is he talking about? And he's revealing through the Scriptures. Remember, this is something that the Holy Spirit does. And he'll do it for you guys. The Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus through the Scriptures. If you'll open your heart and let God open your eyes, when you're reading that book, you'll see Jesus. When you're seeing it, you'll see where he is. He'll speak to you through it. And this is what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. Remember, he was with those strangers. Now, he was a stranger to them. They were some of his disciples. Not, one of the, not two of the twelve, but, but some followers of Jesus. And as he was walking with them, they were very sad. The scripture says they, had, they were sad, they were depressed. He says, why are you sad? And he said, you haven't heard? And they begin to tell him how Jesus was crucified. Now, they don't know. They're talking to Jesus. But they tell him he was was killed. He's dead. And it says, from that moment, Jesus began to show them through the scriptures and reveal to them through the scriptures that this is all what's already been written. And he began to show them himself through the scriptures. He began to show them that this is not a surprise to God, that this is what the prophets have been talking about. And then he revealed himself to them. And they knew it, it, They knew later on they had been with Jesus. And it said, didn't our hearts burn within him as he spoke? So this is what the apostles have been doing. Every time they get in front of a Jewish congregation who knows the scriptures, they say, listen, guys, everything you've been hearing this whole time, it happened. Now, that's a big deal. Because you can imagine, if you're hearing the same thing your grandfather heard in church, and his grandfather heard, for hundreds of years, they've been telling you a Messiah is coming. And from the time you're old enough to, to listen and understand, you've been taught about the Messiah. You know what happens if you hear that enough? So many people stop believing it. You hear it, and you know the facts. Maybe you even say you believe it. Maybe even if somebody said, do you really believe the Messiah is coming? You'd say, absolutely. But you know what you don't do? You don't expect that it's coming in your lifetime. There are people today, guys, if you went up to a bunch of Christians and said, do you believe Jesus is coming again? There's not one of them would say no. They'd all say yes. But how many of us are expecting that there's a good shot? We'll see it. How many of you are expecting Jesus to come back? Now, I don't know exactly when he's coming back. I don't know the day or the hour. I know, I know we're getting close. But do we expect it? Would we recognize it if it happened? I'm sure we would because it's going to be pretty, pretty obvious. But the Messiah should have been obvious to these people too, and they didn't get it. So can you imagine how many times you've heard the same story in church over and over again? You go to, I've been to churches that, that would believe it. it's practically written on their walls. They believe that, that miracles are for today, that, peop, that God heals people, that, that Jesus delivers, that Jesus sets free. But do they expect it to happen in their service? Absolutely not. They'd be freaked out if it happened. They don't want it to happen. We can't get and any of us are, are prone to this if we let it. got Everything you hear, you've got to remember this is not just theory. This is not education. We might be going through the book of Acts right now and you might be learning some things and that's wonderful, but it's not just about you getting a little bit more knowledge so you can pass Bible baseball. This is so that we can grow and God's doing something in us so that he'll use that word to cause us in our everyday life to be transformed. So as we're hearing, he's telling them, this is not new to you. I'm going to tell you all these scriptures you've memorized since you were a little kid. Jesus is what they were talking about. Look at all these psalms. This is what Jesus, this was talking about Jesus. Then he says this in verse 38. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes. Now remember, he's talking to native Jews, and he's also talking to some Gentiles. He doesn't say through him, People sitting on this side. Through him, all of you who are born the sons of Abraham. No, he says, through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Do you see what he's saying? This is stuff. I mean, come on. We've been speaking Christianese so long that these are words we talk about, but think how big this is. Through him, there's forgiveness. I mean, that's huge. And to them, this is a brand new concept. He's not just talking about simple yearly atonement. He's talking about a complete washing away. And then he says, you're freed from all things. Freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Wow. There are certain things the law could not set you free from, but Jesus set you free. Then he says this. Therefore, take heed. What do those three words mean? Take heed. Start listening. Pay attention. Take heed so that the thing spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. And here's what the prophets said could happen, would happen. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this verse, that seems exciting to me, right? I'm accomplishing a work in your day, something you'd never believe. Like, to me, that sounds really good. But in its context... He's not talking to you and me. He's talking to the scoffers. It is an exciting verse. Hey, that's, not, that's, a, I mean, that's a good verse. It's exciting to me. But you know, he's addressing scoffers. And he's not saying, you won't, you won't believe what I'm about to tell you. That's not the way he's saying it. He's saying you actually won't believe it, even when someone describes it to you. That's not a good thing. You know, we use the word incredible like a good thing. When incredible means it's not credible, you shouldn't believe it. Unbelievable. Really? These are words that we, you know, you don't want to just use when you're talking about the things of God. God did something so incredible the other day. Really? Seems like the only uncredible, not credible person that we should be talking about is the enemy, not God, right? So here he says, he says, I'm accomplishing a work that you won't believe. And he's not saying that in a positive way. He's saying there are scoffers and you need to take heed so you're not one of them. Listen up. Paul says, listen to me, take heed so that you won't be one of these guys described in the prophets. Because for hundreds of years, not only have they heard about the Messiah, but God has told them ahead of time, there's gonna be some of you in the crowd that won't believe it. And even when it happens in front of your eyes, and even when someone describes it to you, you still won't believe it. Paul's saying, you don't wanna be in that crowd. You don't wanna be in that crowd. Behold you scoffers and marvel and perish. For I'm accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Of course, we know in the Old Testament it says, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't be a scoffer. You know what? It's, it's nice and safe to be a scoffer as far as the world's concerned. Because as long as you don't really stand for something, nobody can criticize you. See, if all you ever do is criticize and critique, you're not leaving yourself vulnerable, are you? I mean, guys, I've talked about this before, but there are websites that every single ministry you've ever heard of, no matter the denomination, every single ministry that's actually doing something for God is criticized on those sites. There's very few that they actually, they they don't support any, they just criticize them all. And they call it discernment. Now, the church in these last days needs discernment. Yes. We all need discernment. You've got the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of discernment. But you know what? In the New Testament, there is not a, minister, there's not a ministry gift ever described in the New Testament whose sole purpose is to find out who's wrong and who's false and, and to be the critiquer. That doesn't exist. No. We're all meant to be discerning, but you've got to also stand for something. It's real safe to criticize everything. It's real safe to say, ah, it's a crook, ah, it's fake, ah, it's this. But you know what's going to happen? You find yourself sitting in the seat of a scoffer. And in the end, when God actually does something, you're too caught up in your own self-righteousness to see what he's doing. It says, Paul said, please don't be one of these people, that the prophet said it was going to happen. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, The people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Can you imagine having to wait till next Saturday to hear this stuff again? Somebody just told you that everything you've learned all your life came to pass just this year. Maybe it's been more than a year. I don't know the timeline. But just like recently... Can you imagine how pumped you'd be? And then they say, we'll tell you some more next Saturday. Come to, come to synagogue. I mean, you wouldn't want. Somebody got up from the dead. Mm-hmm. Somebody was crucified. Then he rose from the dead. <laughs> next Saturday, we'll tell you more. Now they were, So they were begging him, please come back. Don't leave town. Come back next Sabbath. Tell us about this stuff. And now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes, so those are the Gentiles that have come and converted to Judaism because they believed in Jehovah. It says these Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. What does that tell you? Some people just got born again. And he's now discipling them as new believers. Then he says this. It says this in verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. This is the coolest thing. Because the whole city wasn't Jewish. They had a big Jewish culture. But they were not all Jewish. You see, the previous meeting, we had Jews and some converts to Judaism. Next week, the word has spread. People are so excited. The word's got out. The whole city shows up. Romans, Greeks, Jews, Easterners, they're all there. And they come to hear the word of the Lord. That's exciting, isn't it? But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Now, when we see the word Jews, we're not talking about everybody who was Jewish. We're talking about the leaders. They see the crowds, they get filled with jealousy. Why? Because now the Gentiles are getting open to the same thing. Hey, we've been preaching, we've been having synagogue for every, every week for years and years and years. Now these guys come along and you all want to hear something, don't you? You know why? Because he's not, because no longer are we the special ones. Now everybody's open to this gospel. So they're jealous and they're being co- contradicting the things spoken by Paul and they were blaspheming. In verse 46, it says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. In other words, we had to come to the Jewish people first. It it was necessary that it was spoken to you first since you repudiate it and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. Big statement, hey? Do you notice how he says that? You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. How do we judge ourselves unworthy of eternal life? By not receiving the free message of the gospel. When you reject the word of God, you judge yourself unworthy. And you don't get it. You don't receive. He says, so we're going to turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you, now he's quoting again from the Old Testament, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, now get this, I mean, you got some ticked off Jews, right? You got some happy Jews too, but you got some ticked off ones. But now when this rabbley bunch of Gentiles hears this, when the Gentiles hear this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. So this is a bunch of people got saved. A bunch of people believed God. A bunch of people were converted. And it says, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Now you know Paul and Barnabas haven't left the city yet. So, when it says the word was spread through the whole region, how does that happen? That happens when people hear and they get excited and they spread it. The gospel was never meant to be spread by one, two, three people, just setting up little pods throughout the world. It's meant to be announced, proclaimed, received, and multiplied which means every time you hear something that, that God speaks to you and you get excited about it, it should be natural. It should be the natural reaction for you to go and tell somebody else about it. That's how the Word grows. That's how the Word is glorified. Not just tell somebody, but live it out. So This is what they're doing. The Word of the Lord is being spread through the whole region. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city, and they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Even when the the missionaries left town, the gospel stayed and flourished. Now here's the point we got to, drag out of this. As we see, there's been a, a, you know, you can't stop the gospel. Once it gets planted, it just goes. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast. And you work it into the lump of dough and pretty soon the yeast spreads throughout the whole lump. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed starts out as the smallest seed but it'll grow and he says in this kingdom that mustard bush gets bigger than the bushes that they would have been familiar with because he says when Jesus described it he said it'll take over the whole garden yeah. so you let the kingdom into even a little spot of society it'll spread mm-hmm. but here's what we need to take from this cuz you know you all believed is everybody here born again everybody here a believer oh, yes yeah right so you're all believers you've all believed but, you know, that's not the only thing that God's ever going to require of you. It's that you believe and you pray a prayer and boom, that's it. Now, thank God, believing, that simple act of believing brought you eternal life. And Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. But there's more to life than just waiting until you die so you can go to heaven. Thank God. <laughs> or else we would have just got saved and raptured right in the same moment. Now, you're here for something. And every time, as we grow, every every time the the Lord's bringing to you a place of growth, bringing to you a place of expansion, he's going to use his word, he's going to use the Holy Spirit, he's going to use preaching, he's going to use different things to cause you to come to a place where you have to make a decision. Can I believe that? Do I really believe that? Sometimes there are things that are difficult to believe, sometimes there are things that are hard to comprehend, some of the times there are things that demand too much of you, and you don't want to believe it. But we all come to a place, now I don't care how long you've been saved, every time you hear the word of the Lord, it, it requires something of you. It will. It will always require something of you. Randy and I were just discussing before the service how one of the most dangerous things as you grow in the Lord is to, to get to the point where you're hearing a lot of sermons but you're not doing anything with it because it hardens you yes. come on. and you become dead and stagnant. So what you need to do is to continue to apply the word that's, yes. that's given to you. Come on now. But every time we encounter a new truth, and I'm not talking about new truth like it's, it's something that's just come up. I'm talking about stuff that's been preached for 2,000 years. It's in the word But it's it comes alive in a new way to us, and God speaks it to us. We got to choose: are we going to be the ones that play it safe and scoff, play it safe and withdraw, play it safe and say, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm settled." Or do we want to be the people that are like the Gentiles and we rejoice? And we, we get excited about the word of the Lord. Now, here's, here's what I mean by that. Remember when Jesus um, came to Jerusalem for the last time, right before he was going to be arrested and crucified, when he came in, he wept right before the triumphal entry. He stood over Jerusalem and he wept. And the reason he was weeping over Jerusalem is he said, how I longed to gather you like a hen would gather his chicks. I wish I could have gathered you like that. Just Put you under my wings. He said, but now barricades are going to be thrown up against you. You're going to be encircled on all sides. Why? Because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. You didn't recognize when God is visiting you. Friends, I truly believe every one of you is my brother and sister. We're all going to be in heaven together. But on this planet, on this planet, there are going to be days and seasons of visitation. Let me qualify that by saying, He's never gonna leave you, forsake you, right? So it's not like Jesus is visiting you every once in a while, and, and any other time you're not seeing Him. Now, He's with you all the time, but I do believe there are days and moments of visitation where God is specifically trying to open you up to something, trying to bring you to a new place, trying to take you to a new level, trying to get you out of what you're comfortable with and stepping into something deeper and something bigger and something further. And he's going to use the word to do it. He might use a church service to do it. He might use a friend to do it. He might use your prayer time to speak to you. But he's going to use certain moments. And there's going to be seasons in your life where you have to be awake because if you get comfortable it's so easy to hear it and not recognize it. Even tonight. Tonight if you've been saved more than 5 years, there's probably not one thing I've said today that's been totally foreign to you. There hasn't been one thing that you've never heard before. But perhaps no matter how many times you've heard it, perhaps God's trying to speak to you tonight through his word because no matter how many times you hear the word, times you hear the word, It's always alive. It's always sharper than a two-edged sword. It's always going to cut into you and inspect you and divide between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, and judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. It's always going to cause you to grow because the word of God, Jesus said, is a seed. And seeds always grow unless they're put into bad soil. So if our hearts are good and our hearts are receptive to the word of God, then every message I hear should be bearing fruit in my life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Remember what we said so many times before? The word, if the word is a seed, it only gets bigger from the first moment you hear it. Right. If it hasn't gotten any bigger, it's not growing. If it's not growing, something's wrong with your heart. Because either there's something wrong with your, the word or there's something wrong with the soil. I'm pretty sure there's nothing wrong with the word. So what's going on with the soil? I don't say this to condemn you. I say this to encourage you and to stir you up. Here's how you know. Because when something gets bigger, remember Jesus says the kingdom starts out small and then it expands. The word starts out as a seed and then it grows. Now you guys are smart. Some of you have been farming in your life. Others of you are smart enough to understand the concept but you know when something grows and gets bigger, just by simple physics, if it gets bigger, it's going to push other things out of the way. It's going to interfere with other things. You ever have those trees in your yard started out and you're just in the perfect spot? Then they start to get big. And the roots start hitting this and the, the branches start going over in your neighbor's lawn. And they, they take up more space. Here's the fun part about the Word of God. I don't say this is a bad thing. This is a good thing. As it expands in your life, you'll recognize it's pushing other things out of the way. It should be changing the landscape of your heart. If your schedule has been the same for the last 20 years, I might challenge you to say, why hasn't something changed in your schedule? And You say, what does my schedule have to do with it? So I find... When I, when I really give myself over to the Lord, I say, you've got everything. While he wants you to have a job, I'm sure, and he wants you to take care of your family, I think you notice changes in your schedule. I think you notice changes in your prayer time. I think you would notice changes in your, your thought life. I think you notice changes in your relationship. If there's no changes, it seems to mean that nothing's moving. If there's nothing moving, there's nothing growing. If there's nothing growing, what's been going on every time you showed up at church? Mm -hmm. Has no seed been planted? Or has the seed bounced off and been eaten by birds? Has it stayed for a while, but there were no roots? Because you did not want to give it space to have roots. So you got excited, but then when a storm came, it went away. Did it get crowded out by the thorns of life and choked out of its fruitfulness? These are things I ask myself. I'm not just asking you, I'm asking me. Because one thing I don't ever want to do, I never want to miss a visitation. I never want to miss a visitation. I never want to be one of those people that the prophet said, you, I'm doing a new thing. I'm accomplishing a work. But you're not going to believe it. Even if someone were to describe it to you, you wouldn't believe it. Happy stuff, right? <laughs> Tell you this, I don't believe you're the scoffers, but I am saying this. Every time God brings a word, every time God brings revelation, every time his word penetrates our heart, that's a visitation. That's a moment of visitation. And there are bigger visitations in your life too. There are seasons of shifting and growing and changing. There's seasons where God's moving you from one thing to another thing. And He's not you're not like one of those people that it describes in Ephesians that are, that are tossed around by every wind and wave of doctrine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people that every time a new book comes out, they switch to that. Because the scripture calls that unstable. The scripture calls that baby-like, not, not a grown person. The more mature you are, the more you're growing in Christ, the more you are rooted into something, but there are moments where he wants to shift you from one place to another. Let's go higher. Let's go deeper. I want you to move from this job to this job. I want you to step in. I want you to stretch yourself. You've been getting comfortable, and comfortable is nice, but it's not where you're supposed to stay. Can I ask you? And You don't don't verbally respond to me because then we'd have like too much information. Just, just think about this. When was the last time you really knew that God spoke to you in a very real way and you did something with it? <laughs> The last time he really spoke to you and you changed something based on what he said. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying you know, that, that it had to be an audible voice or writing on the wall. You could have opened your Bible and you, you, something hit you. When was the last time you had a visitation and you did something with it? Because if it's been a while, it's not that God's ignoring you. If it's been a while, it's not that God doesn't care about you. Most likely, it's that your ears have to get cleaned out. Your eyes have to get opened, and your heart has to get softened again. God has not stopped speaking. His word is alive and active. I thought about this the other day. Because sometimes if we think, if I didn't hear, then it's not my fault if I don't do. If I didn't hear, it's not my fault if I didn't do. The truth is, when you're not listening, it's sort of on the same line as disobedience. If you're not listening to hear, you can't obey because you didn't hear. When I was thinking about Pontius Pilate, do you remember Pontius Pilate? How he kept trying to get Jesus out of his court, send him to Herod's. You guys deal with him. Because he knew it was a lose-lose situation. If he were to condemn Jesus and make the crowds happy, he was going against his own conscience and going against Roman law. But if he let Jesus go, the people would revolt. He'd have a rebellion on his hand. Do you remember what happened with his wife? His wife had a dream. And his wife said, I had a dream and I perceived this man is innocent. Now, who gave his wife that dream? must have been God. The devil's not telling her Jesus is innocent. It's not her brain. So she has a dream from God warning Pilate. Now, even though God knew since the foundation of time that Pilate would, would be part in Jesus' crucifixion, God still gave him a chance. Used his wife because he wasn't listening. That's a moment of visitation. Now, what did Pilate do? Instead of doing the right thing, He stood up, and he said, and he brought a basin. He had one of his servants bring a basin of water out, and he said, I'm washing my hands of this. Do you know that didn't fly with God? That little move might have made him feel better for a bit. But washing your hands and just playing it safe and staying on the sidelines and saying, you know what? I'll pass on this turn. doesn't work. No response is still a response. Sometimes we think if I don't take a stand, at least I'm not standing against it. You're wrong. Get on one side or the other. Because when Pilate washed his hands, he still had the guilt. Histories tell us, history tells us, that Pontius Pilate was tormented for the rest of his career and, in fact, his life. Some say he went crazy. It's not because God drove him crazy, it's because of his own guilt stuck with him and he opened himself up to spirits he shouldn't open himself up to you guys have a choice Mm -hmm. I'm not putting you in the same boat as Pontius Pilate I'm saying what will you do the next time you have a visitation from God visitation from God doesn't mean somebody showed up in your room God can do that hey Jesus can show up in your room and talk to you he can I mean he can he can take you by the hand and walk you through the forest and talk to you but you know if that's the only time you listen to Jesus you're missing out Because every time you open the Bible and let him speak, every time you come to church, every time you have a significant conversation with another believer and God's speaking through both of you, that is a moment where seeds are being planted and they must grow. And don't ever find yourself in the seat of a scoffer, a mocker, somebody that stands back and judges and critiques those that are doing something. It's safe. It's cool. But it's wrong. And there's a time where righteous people should stand up and say, that's false, that's heresy. But the only people I ever believe that say that are people that are actually doing something with their own life. You know what I mean? I never believed it. When somebody goes up and says that's a false teaching, I don't believe them unless they're saying something. If you're just pointing at everybody that's false, you're not doing anything. How am I to know what you believe? How am I to know if you're from God? The people of God will know the truth and the truth will set them free. The people who know of God will know the shepherd's voice and because they know the voice of the shepherd and because they don't know the voice of strangers, they won't follow strangers. The people who are really going to know the difference between the shepherd's voice and the stranger's voice are the ones that are actively following the shepherd's voice. Not just the ones who have all the, the sound, audio samples of every stranger they've ever met. You got to know the shepherd's voice. and When he comes and when he visits you, hey, tonight's a visitation. Did you know that? You think a day of visitation, Jesus is going to show up and wiggle your toes. He might. But this is a visitation. This is a moment where God's speaking to some people. Don't miss it. Don't scoff at it. Don't let it pass by. Grab onto it and rejoice. Because ultimately, it's good news. Hey, this is bad news for a scoffer, but it's good news for you. It's good news. I'm doing something in your day. I'm he brought you he brought us the gospel. It's changing us. It's causing us to grow. It's setting us free, and it'll set you free from things nothing else could set you free from. That's good news. The only way you get to be a part of that good news, remember what Jesus said, if you had recognized it, I would have gathered you. In another place, he said, your hearts are hard, your eyes are closed, your ears have become dull, you've shut your eyes. He said, otherwise you would have seen, you would have heard, and you would have turned. And when you turned, he said, I would heal you. Do you see what that is? If I will keep my eyes open, if I can keep my ears open, at the right time, I'll turn. And when I turn, he heals, yeah. he delivers, yeah. he saves. Mm-hmm. Stand up with me tonight. Lord, we don't want to, <laughs> not for a second, do we want to be called scoffers and mockers or those that refuse to accept what you're saying. We want to be those that are aware and vigilant, watching, ready that hear and act that hear and obey we want to be those that leap at the sound of your voice father for the new believers and the old believers alike may we all be eager for your word hungry for more excited to hear what you're doing not shrinking back but pressing forward always seeking to not just learn something new but to let that word change us and transform us and let what we what we've grown in what we've received on Sunday morning, change how we act on Monday and change how we pray and change how we believe. For we don't want to be hearers only. We want to be those that press on. We don't want to be those whose house is built on sand, but those that are built on a rock. Lord, may we never miss a moment of visitation. May we never miss seasons where you're doing something new. May we never miss the times and the voices, even if it seems old to us, even if it seems like something we've heard before, may it always be fresh and new and exciting. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you very much. There's nothing you can do about that. And uh, just have a great week. Hey, Bridget.